0: I have a minute and six seconds. You can have a seat. We've been working our way through the book of Hebrews. And uh, this morning, we're in Hebrews chapter eight. And the title that uh, was given to this message in Hebrews chapter eight was an obsolete covenant. And I, uh, as I was reading the passage, it's true, we're going to talk about that this morning. But I like a I have a better title uh, than that. Don't tell Mike, he's not here this morning. Um, don't tell him that I came up with a better title because that was his title. Um, I came up with a better title. It comes out of Hebrews chapter 8, the first two verses. We're going to be hitting that in just a second. But in those first two verses, as I read it over and over and I was thinking about this passage of Scripture, this line, this phrase just kept going through my head because it's in those verses. And it's this. This is the main thing or this is the main point. That's how this this chapter chapter eight starts. This is the main point. I love that. I don't know about you, but uh, I love when I know what the main point is. I I am not a wordy guy. I I, I don't I I don't like the fluff. Okay, some of you are fluff tellers. Uh, you like all the details about everything that ever happened. Some of us are more like straight line A to B, okay? Just give me the information. I So let me back up to help you understand me a little bit. Not that you really need to know much or understand much about me, but here here it is. I did not do well in school. I uh, struggled, okay? I, there's others of you with me, okay? I struggled in school, um, A number of reasons. Short attention span, maybe a little ADD, although back then they didn't know that and probably better off when they didn't. But anyway, that's another topic. We won't get into that. See, there's a squirrel and I just, okay. So anyway, in school, I I just, I struggled with attention. I, I, I struggled. There was a lot of stuff in school that I just could not figure out why they wanted us to know it. It didn't seem like it really mattered. In life. So I struggled. But what I loved in school, besides lunch and phys ed, was I loved it when you were in a class, especially as we got older and we got into high school. Loved it, loved it. Let's so say if you're a teacher, pay attention to this, okay? This is from a student who struggled in school. Loved it when a teacher would say, Mark this paragraph, it will be. On the test. (laughs) Loved it! Because I knew what I needed. This is important. It's the main thing. It's the main point. And so as we go through life, and as we're doing our jobs, and we're working with our families, and we're just, we're living life, it's important to come back to the main point. I remember a message that was given when I was in high school I remember the guy who gave the message and he, he went over all the way through his message he kept saying remember the main thing and he was talking about being a Christ follower and he kept saying this keep the main thing the main thing keep the main point the main point And if we're talking about Scripture and we're talking about a relationship with Jesus Christ, folks, I want you to pay really close attention. And if you miss everything else, I'm that teacher. This you have to take home with you. This you need. And I'm going to back it up. That's what I'm going to spend the next few minutes. I'm going to back up what I say. But this one point, you cannot go through. You have to have this. This is on the final exam. Okay, you catch me? Catch my drift? This is on the final exam. When you die, everyone in this room is going to face that. This is on the final exam. Here's the main point. God cared so much for us, humanity. When he created us, he created us for a relationship with himself. And sin broke that relationship between me and my creator. It's not his fault, it's my fault. It is my sin that separates me from my heavenly father. And he loved me so much. And you can put you in there because he loved you as well. But he loved me so much that the moment sin entered this world, for as by one man sin entered this world, then death passed on all men, for all have sinned. When sin entered this world with the act of disobedience by Adam and Eve, God looked ahead in time and he saw you and he saw me. And he said, I love those people so much. And they can't pay for their sin because the payment of sin is death. It is separation from me because I am a holy, just, and righteous God. And I cannot stand sin in my presence. And so the payment and the penalty of sin, the consequence of our sin is death. It is separation from God. And God looked ahead and said, they can't pay that price. It's too high. But there is one who can. God the son and so God enacted his plan and Jesus Christ came to this earth and he lived a perfect life and as you've already learned in Hebrews if you followed along with us he didn't just come to this earth and pay the price of our sin he became our great high priest And he defeated death in the grave. That's what 1 Corinthians tells us, that he defeated death in the grave. He won the battle against sin. No one else could do it, but he did. And in doing that, he reaches back to us and he says, look, I paid the price you cannot pay. I have done the work you cannot do. And if you'll simply yield your life and your will to mine and you will say yes to me as the king and the master and the lord of your life i will take your sin and i'll wipe it clean and i will forgive you eternally and you will be my child and you will have eternity with me is that good That's the main thing. Don't miss it. That's the main point. If if you miss everything else I talk about, that is on the exam. You will all, all of us will stand before God at one time. And the passing, the passing point, the passing, how you're going to pass the exam is simply this way it's saying yes to Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. That's how you pass, it's on the exam it's the main point. And so chapter eight, as we jump into chapter eight, chapter eight is a transitional chapter in this book. And chapter eight takes us from understanding the first seven chapters of this book, which painted a picture. The first seven chapters told us this. It said, look, there was all kinds of ways that I had set up, that God had set up for, the, for his people that they look back at and they said, look, the prophets are great and, and, and all, the miracles are great and the angels are great. But, but the first seven chapters say, no, but those were all good, but they all pointed to the greatest one and the greatest one is Jesus Christ. He is the great high priest. He is the one that can make a difference. And they, they pointed to the, the, the priest, the Levitical system, and they said, look, the Levitical system doesn't do it, but Jesus does. Jesus does it for us. And so the first seven chapters reminded us over and over and over and over again how all of what man does falls short, but Jesus Christ is great. And chapter eight takes us from understanding that system failed to understanding all that's wrapped up in Jesus Christ. In chapters 9 through the end of the book, that's what it's going to do for us. And so this morning, we're going to transition. We're going to go from what happened in 1 through 7 to what's going to happen in chapters 9 to the end of the book. So in this transition, would would you come along with me this morning as we wander down this road? And we're going to finish this morning by understanding what a new covenant is. And that new covenant, we're going to have communion as we finish this morning because that's what the new covenant is wrapped up in. So here we go. Verses 1 and 2, Hebrews chapter 8 say this. Now the main point, there you go, of what is being said is this. We have this kind of high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister of the sanctuary, and the true tabernacle that was set up by the Lord and not by man. And Pastor Mike did a great job last week reminding us that this high priest that we have is God himself, Jesus Christ. The, and he came in the form of a man. So he was equally God, equally humanity, equally man. He came and he lived on this earth and he walked out the plan of God for him. And it says this at the end of what Mike shared with us yesterday, chapter 7, verse 28, that God the Son was perfected forever. Now that verse, when it says perfected, it doesn't mean that he wasn't perfect and and working out the plan made him perfect. That's not what that means. If you remember, we talked about this, that the Greek word means this, that he's the completer of the plan. He perfected the plan of God. He wasn't lacking anything. He just fulfilled what God had set in motion and he did it. And what he's telling us there, when he uses that word, he's saying this, you know you can... I grew up on a farm, and sometimes dad would give me jobs that I didn't particularly like. I don't know if you've ever had those jobs or not, but one of the jobs that I got in the spring of the year was to clean out the calf pens, and they had been in that for four or five months. It's a stinky job. And there, there was a place in that calf pen, it was back, there's a feeder that went along one side, I can still picture it to this day, there's a feeder, and under that feeder, the feed that you fed the calves and stuff, and then all the manure got packed in under there. And I would clean the whole pen out, and go, put new straw in, it would look great, and go, there, I'm all done, and dad would walk by, and he says, what about under the feeder? See, my finished job was not dad's finished job. And when Jesus finished his job, there was no manure left on the outside edge. You catch what I'm saying? Because in our life, often what we do, even with God, we look at God and say, God, I'm all in, except for the little manure that's on the outside edge. And I'm keeping that. Well, you know what happens with that little manure that's on the outside edge? It affects everything. It affects everything. And that manure that was under that feeder affected where those cows ate. That's pretty gross when you think about it. Well, the same thing is true for us in our lives. But Jesus was the opposite of that. When he did his job, he perfected it. He finished it completely. There was no edges that were left undone. He did all of it. He is the completer of the job. He finished his work. The Old Testament uh, tabernacle had no seats. The work was never done. The blood of animals was never cleaned up. It was never finished. It never cleared us from sin. We had to keep going. The priest had to keep going and keep going. But Jesus, the high priest, sits down because his job, once and for all, was done for us. It was complete. Jesus came to this earth. And Jesus came with the plan of God to permanently fix the sin problem. And that's what he did. He did his job completely. John 1.29, Pastor Mike referred to this verse last week as well. The next day that John saw Jesus coming to and he said, Look, here is the Lamb of God who does what? You tell me, who takes away the sin of the world completely. Completely. He did his job completely. He was a perfect lamb who did it. Where is he seated? He's seated on the throne, back in his proper place, the place that he rightly deserves. I want you to understand this. I want you to remember this. Look, Jesus was on the throne before he came. If you look at Colossians, you realize this, that Jesus was part and the author, really, of all of creation. That's what Colossians tells us. And Colossians tells us this, that he was the king on the throne prior to coming as a man. You say, Tim, why does that matter? Well, it matters that you understand that Jesus wasn't earning a place. He already had the place. This wasn't something new for him. This was where he belonged already. And he chose to leave the place that was rightly his. It belonged to him. Why? Because he loved you. See, sometimes we get wrapped up in the story, and we forget the depth of what Jesus Christ actually did. He left a throne. He, he didn't have to do that. He left it. And he chose to come, and then when he finished his work, he didn't have to go back and steal his position back. It was waiting. For, it was his. It's his position. And so this verse tells us that that's where he is seated. He's seated in his proper place, the place that he re, right, rightfully deserves. Ephesians says it this way in Ephesians 1, that God exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand in the heavens, far above, and look at this, far above every ruler and authority, every power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but in every age to come. He put everything under his feet. In other words, there would never be, there has never been and there will never be anyone who's greater than Jesus Christ. If you're sitting here this morning and you're wondering where you should turn in your life, remember what I said is on the final exam? That's where you turn. You turn to the one who There's no one greater than, and there never will be. And if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you get to be with him. He is with you now by the presence of the Holy Spirit. The power and person of Jesus Christ is at your fingertips. Actually, let's say that different because that's not true. It is true, but it's not. Because he's not at your fingertips, he's where? Yeah, he lives in you. It's far greater than just at your fingertips. You don't even have to reach. It's kind of like sitting on a couch with a bag of... P- no, that's squirrel. Okay. <laughs> the reminder for us in this chapter is this, that everything prior to Christ fell short. Let me show you this. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 3 through 5. Let's, let's read this together. Everything prior, remember, everything prior to Christ fell short. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it was necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. So he's saying this, look, a priest, the whole point of a priest was to come into the presence of God, to the altar, and to offer sacrifices. First of all, on his own behalf, because he was a sinner. And then on behalf of all the people. And so that was the point of a priest. So a priest, Jesus Christ, the high priest, had to have something to offer. That's simply what he's saying. Now, if he were on earth, Jesus Christ, he wouldn't be a priest. Remember, we went through this in the first seven chapters. He wasn't of the tribe of Levi, so he didn't fit. He didn't fit all of the qualifications, the human qualifications to be a priest. Since there are those offering Uh, uh, Offering the gifts prescribed by law. These serve as a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. As Moses was warned when when he was about to complete the tabernacle, for God said, be careful that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. Look, the priest's job by law, the law of Moses. Remember, Moses went on the mountain and the people were scared to go before God, and so God had Moses go as their representative, and, and Moses was given what? You remember what he was given on the mountain? I want to make sure you're alive, because some of you look dead. What, what was he given on the mountain? The Ten Commandments, that's right, and he brought the law back down to the people, because they were scared of God. He was holy and just, and they had a right to be, right? And God told Moses, he says, look, everything that I give you, you need to do it exactly the way I tell you. Well, the priests tried to do that. And what happened? They failed. They failed. They couldn't do it. They failed. And the sacrifices that they brought, it was this. Your job as a priest is to offer a sacrifice, clean yourself up, go out of the presence of God, come back into the presence of God, offer a sacrifice. So it's repeat, repeat, repeat. And every time you do it, it falls short. Every time you do it, it falls short. But Jesus, who was not of the tribe of Levi, he was a priest. Remember, we talked about this. He was a priest and the king came. And he offered a sacrifice that was eternal himself. A one-time, permanent sacrifice for the sin. He was better than the priest's. All of the things that were done according to the law couldn't be done good enough to make us clean. We needed somebody who would go on our behalf, who could actually do the job and do it right. And that one person was Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 6 says it this way. But Jesus has now obtained a superior ministry. And to that degree, he is the mediator of a better covenant which has been established on better promises. Moses was the mediator between God and the Jewish, the Israelite people, the nation of Israel. And it fell short. They failed miserably. Jesus is the mediator between you and me and God. And he succeeded completely. And because he succeeded, we have access to God. Jesus is the best, the only mediator between God and man. First Timothy chapter 2 says it this way, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. A testimony at the proper time. One mediator. I don't know about you, but I need a mediator. I don't know what your life looks like. I don't know what your mind is like. I don't know how you treat the people around you. I don't know how you deal with temptation in your life. But the older I get, the more aware of how much I need someone who stands between me and God. One of my teachers in Bible school, here's one of your main points again. He used to say this all the time. The older you get... And the closer to God you get, the more aware of your sin you become. Now we would think it's just the opposite, right? The more spiritual we become, the more mature we become, the more perfect we become. And no, what you realize is that little verse that we learned as kids in Sunday school, which says this, that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We all know it. The sin in our heart pulls us away from God. And we need, I need, you need a mediator who stands before God. Jesus has given us a better covenant. The next few verses in this passage, Hebrews chapter uh, 8, verses 7 through 13. Let me read them for you. I'm not going to spend much time on it because I just realized I think that clock's wrong. There's no way that much time has gone by. Um, Let me read this really quick, but... Maybe it's the twilight zone, and stuff is just disappearing. Here we go. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would not have been an occasion for a second one. But finding fault with his people, he says, now this is a quote from Jeremiah chapter 31, and I want you to understand, this is what God through the prophet said would happen, would need to happen. And it's important. See, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their ancestors in the day that I took them by the hand and I led them out of the land of Egypt. I showed no concern for them, says the Lord, because they did not continue in my covenant. Here's the thing. They fell short. God didn't. They didn't keep, they didn't keep the covenant that they had with God. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. For each person will not teach his fellow citizen, and each brother or sister saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least to the greatest of them. For I will forgive their wrongdoings, and I will never again remember their sins. By saying a new covenant, he has declared that the first is obsolete. And what is obsolete and growing old is about to pass away. These verses simply tell us this, that the nation of Israel broke the covenant with God. God kept his end of the bargain. But man fell short and they continued to sin and not trust God. And so God said, I'll make a new covenant. I'll make that old covenant obsolete. And if you notice in this passage of scripture, as we read it, there are six I wills of God. Look at it when you go home. And those I wills tell us this, that it is God who determines the covenant. It is God who keeps the covenant. It is God who makes the covenant stick. It is not on us. Unlike the old covenant where he said, look, if you keep your promise, I'll keep mine. He doesn't do that this time. He said, I'll just pay the price of sin and I will make this work. And that's what he's done in his son, Jesus Christ. And the new covenant that he made is wrapped up in the fact that Jesus Christ completely paid for your sin and for my sin. These are his promises to us, his grace, his internal change, his forgiveness, his eternal blessing for us. This covenant does not hang on your response or mine. It is what God offers all people freely for all time. If we are willing to humble and yield ourselves to him, then that covenant is for us. But if not, then the consequences of it are on us, which is eternal separation from God. A new covenant, that doesn't mean a weaker covenant. It doesn't mean that the new covenant is easier. That's not what it says. Think of this, the Ten Commandments. When you read the Ten Commandments, they're really not that hard. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't kill somebody. These are basic things, and man couldn't keep them. The new covenant that Jesus Christ makes with us is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Love your enemy. Do good to those who despise you. It's actually harder. You know that? Love as Christ loves. Forgive as Christ forgives. Show the love of Christ to everyone that you come in contact with. How easy is that? care for those who despise you and despitefully use you. It's actually harder because the person of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit has to live in me to work out that covenant. I need him in order to work out that covenant. I need my mediator. I need Jesus Christ to work out that new covenant. So Jesus set in place In the New Testament, the words of Jesus, actually in Mark chapter 14, I want to read them for you, but he set up a way that we would be reminded of that new covenant. We call it communion. It's celebrating what Jesus Christ did on our behalf. And this morning, we want to wrap this service up by reminding that the old way has been made obsolete. It doesn't mean that the law is no good. The Ten Commandments are still good. They still point us to what it means to be righteous and holy and just. They're still important. But the new covenant is wrapped up in the forgiveness and the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what communion does. Communion points us to what Jesus Christ did on our behalf. The broken body of Jesus Christ we celebrate by taking the cracker or the bread. And the spilt blood of Jesus Christ we celebrate by drinking the juice that reminds us that his blood covers completely our sin and washes away the guilt That is on our hearts and our soul. Let me read these verses from from Mark to you. As they were eating, he took bread and he blessed it and he broke it. And he gave it to them and he said, Take it. This is my body. And then he took the cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, the new covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I tell you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. Folks, the main point. This is the main point. Jesus Christ left his throne, came to this sin-cursed earth, Lived a perfect life. Was willing to be separated from his father. To carry the weight of your sin and mine. To take the keys of death and hell. Defeat it. To bring himself back to life, which no one else has ever done or will ever do. and offer you forgiveness that you can obtain no other way. And this morning, when we celebrate communion by taking the bread and the wine, we're saying, thank you. Thank you for what you have done for me. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I I invite you to join us as we celebrate. Pause. Pause. Say thank you to Christ for what he's done in you and what he's doing in you. If you're sitting here this morning and you don't have a relationship, you haven't experienced the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, you can. Right where you sit, you can simply bow your head and say, Christ, I understand that I'm a sinner and I cannot pay the price for my sin. I need a mediator. I need one who would go between me and God. I need your payment for my sin and accept what he's done for you on the cross. The Bible tells us this, if you believe on your heart and place your faith in Jesus Christ, you will be saved. You will be saved. So celebrate with me this morning as we have communion together. Father, thank you so much for the work that you did through your son Jesus Christ on the cross for us. Thank you for the new covenant that's wrapped up and the price that was paid for us. Thank you that it's permanent, it's eternal, and our price for our sin has been paid completely in your son. Help us now, remind us as we celebrate together. In your name we pray.